The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Alivet. Support babies' healthy development at every stage. The Human Race podcast discusses subjects that will be upsetting for some, including infertility, miscarriage and stillbirth. Support is available. Check the show description for details. This episode also contains some strong language. Kia ora and welcome to The Human Race, a podcast about those who are in the race of their lives to create a life. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and for the past four years, I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. So we wanted to bring you stories from those people that have been through it. So even if you don't want to talk about it, maybe those stories can give you hope, or at the very least, make you feel a little less alone. This is a collab podcast between Stuff and Wabi Sabi Media. Aaron Soma and Jake Volibritt broke ground with a Hindu, Christian, civil, gay wedding. It was awesome. And after tying the knot, buying a house and getting a couple of dogs, something was missing. They wanted to start a family. But it's not that straightforward when neither of you possess a uterus. So they started exploring their options and found someone willing to be a surrogate and someone willing to be an egg donor. But finding those up for the task was just the beginning of their journey to making a baby. Kia ora boys, welcome along. Kia ora. Kia ora. Hi, guys. <laughs> now, Nadine mentioned your beautiful wedding that we were lucky enough to come along to. Um, so you fall in love, start your life, have this amazing wedding. But there was um, a time that, Aaron, you used to passion my wife. <laughs> <laughs> there was. I'm so glad we brought this up so the world gets to know. <laughs> yeah, we went to broadcasting school together, so we've been friends for a long time now. But... Um, you no longer pash girls. <laughs> I, no, I no longer pash girls. I used to really like your wife. <laughs> oh, do you not anymore? <laughs> In a different way. It's yeah. very, very much plutonic. But yes, oh no, it was uh, it was one of those nightclubs in Christchurch many moons ago. Oh, and the rest is history. Yeah, we have been good friends ever since. <laughs> so we have been. thanks for talking to us today. Um, now, I've got a good uh, gaggle of gay friends, and um, lots of them have different stories about coming out and how their families kind of um, dealt with that or reacted to that. When did you come out, Aaron and Jake, and um, how was your family reactions? Yeah, good question. Um, everyone has their own journey, uh, and it's really interesting to sit here with both of you, who we've known, we've known for a long time, to have a really honest corridor and reflect back on what that time has been like because family and friends have been key to, for us, a successful coming out journey. I came out when I was 25 years old. Uh, it was it was hard. Um, as soon as I did it, which was to a couple of friends, it felt like weights had been lifted off my shoulders, but that didn't mean it was going to be easy. Mm. It was, um, I don't, wouldn't call it heartbreak, but I'd, I'd call it really, really hard, really emotional for my family and um, friends. But hey, they've been the biggest, biggest supporters and they all stand behind us 100%. Well, behind us and in front of us because they are true allies. They go out fighting for us where they need to. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. And and Jake, yours is slightly similar. Yeah, I, we came out, well, we, Aaron and I came out the same year. Uh, and my one was at, at New Year's Eve. And I just remembered that just now while you were talking, I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of, I, I, I didn't want to be a New Year's resolution or any of that kind of thing. But I kind of thought, you know, New Year, New Me. And so I came out to my parents on uh, New Year's Eve. Um, and then, the, yeah, the, I had already, by then I'd already met Aaron. So um, yeah, it was, it was, it was still challenging. You know, we had a, a uh, it was a very silent conversations with my family, but it seemed to be, yeah, it's, it's really fantastic now. And we fit in just like pieces of furniture at, um, the in-laws house, which Aww. is wonderful. But speaking of new year's resolutions, um, I, I generally write myself a little list and I had this one particular year I had things like go to the gym more, save more money, <sighs> um, eat healthier. And then I had, and... And I just wrote a blank line, which was come out of the closet because um, oh. I didn't want anyone <gasps> to find my list, but I knew exactly what that meant. Um, uh, but I must say, I mean, it sounds really rosy um, for myself in particular. It was rock bottom before I could come out mm. um, and then um, having to kind of build yourself back up. So, yeah, it was difficult. But, hey, like it's really lovely to – to be here with you both and share our experiences and 
ensure that others can be inspired by it or take something from it mm. that, that they see fit. So yeah. thank you for inviting us. No, it's great to have you here. And I guess because this is about, you know, having kids or trying to have kids, um, a lot of the time um, I've heard from from my gay friends that parents sometimes have this this disappointment that they think, oh, we're not going to get grandchildren, we're not going to be these amazing grandparents. And it's, it's just not true. It's not like that really, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think... First and foremost, my parents, well, my mum in particular said, ah, oh, does that mean I won't get grandkids from you? Whereas Jake's family's a bit different because there were a lot of grandkids, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, now Nico is one of 15 kids. So it's, and by the time we came out, there would have been at least half a dozen. <laughs> so like, Wah! we've got tons. Yeah, yeah. But it's just wonderful seeing the collection of volibrates. Um, nieces and nephews, and then Nico fitting in amongst that. Yeah, so spoiler alert, you, you do have Nico, and you're such naturals. He's gorgeous. But if we rewind a little bit, did you always want to become parents? Was it always part of the plan when you got together? Uh, well, I uh, it wasn't front and centre. Um you know, we as you grow up, you sort of assume that that's what will happen is, you know, you get married and have kids, and that kind of going along, along, that's the same same dream that you had as a kid and then when you get older you kind of think oh maybe you know I'm quite liking this lifestyle at the moment where I'm you know it's just just me and just well, just me and my husband I'm quite enjoying it um but you're still thinking long term like that's probably what's going to happen um it wasn't a you know a burning desire within me to have kids but it was a I know I'm going to have kids in the future I kind of just didn't really know how to and knowing that it would be quite a big step to get there so at what point do you start thinking about the how? <laughs> yeah, I mean, good question. And I think like it's really important because the lens we bring to it's a bit different. Um, being a same-sex couple and going through what we just talked about, the uh, the coming out journey. Um, so there's, there are many rock bottoms. There are many ways to have to build your own kinds of resilience to get through that. Um, and as Jake pointed out, you know, when you're younger, you go, oh, well, I want I want a white picket fence, a house, and a couple of kids, just like everybody else, and that's going to be easy. Well, for us, it wasn't. So mm. our benchmark or the mindset was, well, we can't do that on our own. We have to. We know at an early age that it's going to be a bit more difficult, and that's the fertility journey for us. Um, so we actually um, we travelled a bit. We went to live in Japan for one year, um, and we saw you guys over there too. Had a very good night out, didn't we, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> Another large evening. Um, <laughs> a bit of karaoke, lots of sake. <laughs> yeah. I, feel, I think Dan's katsu curry uh, ended, ended up on the floor, didn't it, Dan? The floor, uh, the bathroom, you know, yeah. a few various places. Um, um, and then we did four years in London. When, when we came back from London, we got married and then we, we bought a house and it, the house just felt that little bit empty. Mm. Um, we had a couple of spare bedrooms. That comes from a... A world of privilege, and we know that, and we uh, need to be honest about that. Um, but yeah, we thought, well, there is that little something missing in our lives. Um, we started figuring out which ways we could have children. So um, we went to a foster evening session, like an info night, okay. to figure out whether we might be eligible to be foster parents. We looked at, um, you know, routes of adoption. So we're doing a lot of research around that. And then surrogacy was one option. But as you say, it becomes this kind of deep, dark secret people don't really talk about. Um, but what you will find and what we found is a lot of it's about networking. Mm. So there are Facebook groups, um, IVF and surrogacy groups, for example, that we joined. And we were often just bystanders watching conversations happening and reading posts to gather as much information as we could. Um, but it was around that time that a wonderful friend of ours um, talked about uh, wanting to be a surrogate, and we talked about looking for a surrogate, and that's how it all came to be. And so, with um, with this friend of yours coming forward and 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 offering to be a surrogate, had you guys um, sort of broached everything or or told your families that this was the the route you were going to go down, or did you kind of secure the surrogate and then have that discussion? I think by then. We definitely found our surrogate, and then we talked to our family. Well, we we talked to my my family about uh, um, about foster about foster children because my parents have foster children at the moment. That's right. Yeah. Um, 
And so, you know, we'd, we'd obviously known how, how that journey had gone for them. Um, and that's why one of fostering was one option as well. And so I suppose by then, mum and dad had already figured out, you know, all the, the family had known that we were interested in, in having our own family of some kind. So you have your surrogate, the beautiful Lacey. Where, where do you go to find the egg? <laughs> um, our friend Lacey was wonderful. And we got on that journey with her um, um, doing tests at the fertility clinic um, starting counselling because we needed to go through an ethics process for surrogacy. And then um, Lacey had said to us um, she didn't necessarily want to provide the egg because that would have been really hard for her mm-hmm. um, come time of birth to, to kind of give away that connection. And we totally get that. That is a really important thing to say from the outset and be honest and open about that. And we felt the same way too. What would that mean for Lacey emotionally? So we then kind of sought um, uh, trying to find um, someone who might donate an egg. And there's two beautiful friends of ours, Alice and Dee. They're in the same sex um, female relationship, beautiful friends of ours. And we kind of cold called them, to be honest. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it was really difficult. Um, we um, sent a Facebook message. We It's the kind of conversation we'd, we would have had in person because we're those people, but we didn't want to catch them by surprise in person. So we wrote a really um, uh, kind of detailed message about what we were doing and how. And oh, you what, must have agonised over was, that. It was really painful to send. It was actually Lacey's husband who said, Send that bloody message. If you don't, get, you don't. <laughs> do it, if you don't yeah. ask, you don't get. Um, and and so we ripped off the band aid. Alice, um, who I sent it to, who I've known for a long, long time, was amazing. She's like, well, first of all, thank you so much. We're humbled that you could think Aww. of us and um, give us a little bit of time, a couple of days. We'll have a chat and we'll we'll work it out. And they came back to us and said we'd love to. Um, so that was wonderful. Um, Lacey's family and Alice and Dee. Uh, they are now part of our village. They're our extended whānau. Nico sees them. We we call them aunties mm. um, for Nico because it's really important for him that he knows what this journey is. Um, and I just want to go back to your earlier point, um, Nadine. Um, for us, going through fostering or the consideration of fostering and adoption and then ending up at surrogacy, for us as a same-sex male couple, knowing we can't do it on our own, it was actually about having a family no matter how that family was made mm. up. So our benchmark wasn't we have the right body parts, we can make a baby. It was like there's going to be genetics from elsewhere already. Mm. Like we, there's going to there's going to be this this dynamic where we um we can't do it on our own. Um so it kind of set us up for what our expectations should be along the way. Mm-hmm. So from the outset, we knew um, we needed help. And that, I think, helped to build a little bit of resilience in for us. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It's worth pointing out at this point, for people who think that surrogacy is like the Kardashians where you just like go pay someone to bake your baby, it's really not like that in New Zealand. So can you give us an idea of the process you had to go to to even get to the point where your embryo goes into Lacey? Yeah, so uh, we had to go, well, we went through a fertility clinic um, and the reason for that is, you, I mean, you can do surrogacy the, the turkey-based away. Yeah. Um, or the at-home method. <laughs> but I guess that means the surrogate has to be the genetic parent, right? It, so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we went through a fertility, fertility clinic. Um, as part of that, you have to go through an ethics process. So there's an ethics committee that signs off the surrogacy. Now, a lot of people do not like that. And it is very clunky and there's a lot of time involved and it's expensive too. You go through counselling, joint counselling, medical tests, legal, seek legal advice. Uh, I personally liked the process because it gives you enough time, I felt, to think. It gives everyone, well, it gave us all the chance to answer the really tough questions, have the really hard conversations. So you know that when you come to nine months later, that things are going to be a bit smoother than they otherwise um, would have been had you not had those conversations. I mean, hearing that list, it sounds so daunting and confronting. 
Jake, the, you go through some counselling, obviously, together and then separately. Mm. Was, was it helpful? And like, what kind of questions do they ask you or, or get you to come forward with? Yeah, they, I, I find the, the counselling was, was really, really good and we got a lot of out of it. Um, she, uh, our counsellor t- spoke about the process quite a lot um, and she yeah, asked us quite a, some very challenging questions. So one of them I remember was uh, what happens if, if we break up during the process? And it was certainly it's one thing we never thought about. And so we had to kind of on the spot just, yeah, I don't know, just, uh, yeah, answer the questions. I, I promise we won't break do. up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's really diff- it was those kind of questions were really really difficult. And I think another one was that um, what happens if if Lacey passes away during the process? You're like, you're, you're quite, oh, you're quite, and you're like, Jesus, oh, that's, that's heavy. Just, and so you know, you've got these things that clearly the percentage of that is, is very very low that happening, but the risk is there still. So you, how do you mitigate against that risk? And yeah, I can't remember what, what our answer was either then, but it's just it's challenging the questions that you got to think about because they they have long legal ramifications if you don't. Yeah, maybe one of the less fun parts is that you actually have to be vetted by social services, right? That you are fit and mm. proper parents. What's that like? Because from the outset, it sort of feels a little bit insulting. Other people can just have a baby no matter what kind of person they are. Yeah, and I mean. I think when you're going through the process and you're doing all these things, uh, it, it starts to become a little bit tick box. And I get the feeling authorities feel the same way um, because that's what the law says, the current law says. Um, and so we kind of just went with it because you know you, you've got to do whatever it bloody takes mm. to get that bubba mm. in your arm. So you will do Anything. Mm. And if that's one part of it, that's one part of it. You just got to go with the flow. I think we had to do police checks, you know. Um, mm. Going through it, I was kind of fine. I was like, oh, it is what it is. Um, we had a wonderful, wonderful social worker who came to visit us twice. Um, we were quite nervous. Um, we were reading again on these fertility Facebook groups about people posting about the social worker coming over and what that was like. And so, what, so, so they come to your house? They, they came to our house, yeah. Um, and... Um, we actually, because we got a, we had a beautiful bar cart, um, which we loved. It had whiskeys and things, and we don't have it anymore because we got a child. <laughs> uh, it would get ruined. <laughs> we literally went and take, took all the booze away and and put it away because we were like, oh, what are they going to be looking for? It wasn't like that at all. Look, our social worker came, sat down on the couch. We cooked some kai, had a cup of tea, and just chatted, and it was lovely. Um, so we did that twice, and our social worker – if she's listening, shout out. <laughs> You're amazing. Um, one thing that it was very clear to me from the way she approached us was that this was all about the bubba. It was all about future Nico. And she was right, having to write a court report because that then goes in front of a judge. But she wrote it from the perspective of Nico reading that when he was, I don't know, 16 or 18 years old. So he could look back and see what his journey is, um, see the role of the state. But, but see the role of everyone that had a little part in it. And that was kind of wonderful. Of Jumping forward a little bit and the importance of that, that court report, um, we had to adopt Nico from Lacey and her husband. And I think that was the moment, I think when we were walking into the courtroom, the family court, and look, it's a family court situation that was really happy um, for us. You know, it was a really am- amazing milestone um, and we had a r- lovely family day, you know, celebrating that. But it was that that was the one moment where I was like, why am I at a courthouse mm. for a bubba that I have mm. in my arms? And we are decent, decent parents and we're having to go and claim him. Now, look, I know it's part of the law and, and there's appetite for the law to change and progress has been made. But I think that was my one moment. Where I was like, why am I doing this? Why is the state involved in my life? But it is what it is, and I know there'll be positive change for families going forward eventually. Yeah, and hopefully that is going to be the thing. Because yeah, I mean, for for me, I'm just like, seems fucked. That that is 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 where it's at when you you know you are two amazing humans that are giving Nico a beautiful life um, going Mm. forward. I mean, it just blows my mind. But anyway, we should fast forward a little bit because you you get your ethical approval, you do all your counselling, and you tick all your boxes. At what point 
do you actually start trying and, and putting the embryo into Lacey? Um, so for our, our one, we, we, uh, we got approval for ethics in um, maybe April of 2020. So this was all during lockdowns. So this is their first uh, session they had in um, on via Zoom. Um, and then we still we had to do some uh, gene- oh, we did more genetic testing, and we then we do some egg extraction. So um, that happened must have been in June or July. So that's the IVF process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, by the time there was viable embryos that had been tested. Um, the first transfer for Lacey was in October of 2020. Um, so that was about, yeah, it's about six months from, from go to woe. And Lacey's not in the same, she's not in Wellington with you, with you guys, is she's, she's in Northland? Whangarei, yeah. Yeah, so Lacey, Lacey would come down and go to the clinic, but we'd have, a, we'd have a, a lovely time. She'd stay at our house and it was a really nice, you know, because there was distance between us. We've, we're friends, but it was just nice to be in those moments together, have some face-to-face time. Um, the first embryo transfer, which Jake said was October of that year, um, didn't stick. So the embryo, my understanding is the embryo needs to stick to the uterus lining or uterus wall, and and that, that didn't happen. Um, so we went back for another round of embryo transfer in November, I think about four, four weeks later or something, mm-hmm. and um, and we got pregnant. And it was wonderful. Oh, yay. <laughs> that feeling after that process must have mm. been awesome. That feeling, absolutely. We were on the highest high until it was the lowest low. Mm. So that was about five weeks of pregnancy, and then we miscarried. And we miscarried the week of Christmas, and we were gearing up to tell our closest loved ones, our parents, on Christmas Day that we were pregnant. Um, so... Yeah, really hard. And miscarriage is one of those things that many people don't talk about, but is oh so common. And um, it's tragic. It's traumatic. I still feel, and even though we have Nico, I still feel trauma from that um, because I, I, I just I know the emotion that we all went through, in particular Lacey. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to ask you about that because – you know, she was in Northland, you were in Wellington, she's physically going through it, but that's your baby in there. So what what was that process like? Does she call you? What happens? Yeah, so it was, um, we kind of, well, one thing I didn't quite know was that, that that kind of miscarriage process was, I think for us, spanned about four days, which started as kind of cramping and then bleeding. And then, you know, by the time you're able to have a check in the you know, Lacey's hormone levels are going down at that point. That That's when, you know, so it lasted about four days and I was working. Um, actually, I was, I, was, I was working at the Ministry of Health at the time uh, and the media team there and I was, you know, helping write the 1pm briefings and oh, I, I was effectively then on. ducking into a room um, at my workplace to take calls from Lacey because we wanted as, I wanted to talk to her as much as possible. So I'd, I'd duck into a room and would chat and sometimes cry and then I'd run into the car park and call again and it was really, really hard, um, that kind of process. And I know many people have gone through that, so um, thoughts to all those people. Um, it was it was hard not being in person and mm. our greatest concern the whole way through, the greatest concern was not for us, it was for Lacey and what she was doing for us because she is superhuman. Mm. I, I have no other words just amazing and so we wanted to support her as much as possible we weren't in the same city and that was quite difficult um and she, she had amazing support from her husband who um can't get enough credit for all um all the stuff that he helped her with uh, that when we couldn't so yeah he um he was able to support her through that as much as yeah, as much as he could and we were doing what we did from the phone yeah and i know we've talked to Lacey about it since and um she talks about the feeling of guilt so the guilt mm. of the feeling of guilt of, you know, everything's been going pretty smooth up until this point. Um, but at this, but we've had a miscarriage and what's my role in this miscarriage? And and Aww. we're very strong on that. Um, and, and Lisa, I know you'll be listening. Um, you know, it's very much um, she was at the forefront and the body is the body and, and nature is nature. And we had to kind of use that as our way to get through it. And um, 
we're just grateful. At that point, we were just grateful that we had got to that point along the journey and, you know, whatever will be, will be. That's yeah. where we had to put our minds. A- absolutely. And you guys were such a great support to Lacey through that. Um, how did you – did you find that you grieved together or did you go and isolate yourselves a little bit to try and deal with it yourselves? Uh, I, we, uh, us two, we were just grieving together. Cause we, and, but we often we just weren't saying anything. We were just sitting on the, on the couch. The TV would have been off and we were just sitting there just in silence, just, you know. Yeah, it was like it was it was like someone had passed away. Mm. Um, we would sit in the lounge and just have no words for each other. We just, you know, we were there mm. physically, but it was like we were distant. And we had to get through Christmas Day, oh. and um, which was going to be our kind of our re- reveal to our parents. Um, and it was a, just a really sad time, but we didn't tell anybody. And it's that that I remember thinking back, going. You know, because uh, we we're going to tell them on Christmas Day positive news, we don't want to say, hey, and we're also going through this tragic thing right now and upset Christmas Day. So we said nothing. And we, I'm, I'm still glad that we said nothing at mm. that point. But it's that it's that when you want your mum or you want a, that close yeah. person, to you, you, wanna, you just want to tell them everything, mm. but you, you can't. And so that was tough. We did go um, for New Year's. We went down to um, Abel Tasman National Park and we did about four days of camping and, and walking. And that was wonderful. It was wonderful, wonderful for us. And for you know, for our relationship, yeah. um, mm. and just to kind of start the year going, you know, it is what it is. We're out in nature. The world is beautiful. Let's push on. Yeah. Oh, so you got yourself back in the mindset, I guess, because given how much it was affecting you all, Lacey included, how do you then get yourself in the position to be like, all right, <laughs> we got to go so, again? Yeah, yes, yeah, resilience. Uh, I, I, it was it was definitely a challenge, and I think by then we had used the viable embryos that we had tested. Um, so we had um, some more that we could use. So we had to do it through another round of testing, which took another probably about a month. I think they had got tested in Australia. Um, so that was um, that was tough wanting to having to wait another another two months or so for all that to happen and then also the shutdown over um, the Christmas break um, we just had to like you know bury our heads and just keep going not bury our heads but um, you know head down and yeah keep working away yeah yeah and and you know so we came up for our kind of our third attempt which was March of 2021 um, and again that was successful um, that, that was wonderful. Um, but then how do you approach the positive test this time mm. round? It's joyful, but you must also be terrified. Oh, it's once bitten, twice shy. Mm. Absolutely, Nadi. Like, you just you don't want to count your chickens before they hatch. Mm. Um, so hesitantly, mm. yeah, hesitantly. Yeah. And almost every step moving forward or every test you take or every scan that m- might come is also that just – Apprehension, right? Absolutely, yeah. We uh, one of the one of the scans we did in uh, in Whangarei that we flew up for. You're just waiting for that moment where they find the heartbeat, and then you're like, <gasps> yeah, you're breathing in, and you're just not saying anything. You're just like, yes, oh thank God. Then it's that relief, yeah. So you're on absolute tenterhooks. Mm. How long before you feel like, okay, we can actually celebrate this? This might actually happen. Well, we didn't say anything to our parents or families for a little while um, because of that, um, that, that feeling. Uh, there was one Sunday, and I can't quite remember how far through we were. I'm guessing maybe four or five weeks, and get, get a call from Lacey in the morning. At this point, we're, I mean, we, have, we have a great relationship with Lacey, and we were talking every day, whether it was via messenger or video call. Um, get a call or a message, I think it was one Sunday morning. Um, and at this point, we're kind of feeling upbeat. And um, Lacey had started having a bleeding again. <sighs> and um, out again, first and foremost, it was about us wrapping the support around Lacey. We we put our, our feelings aside for that those moments. And most importantly, it was Lacey that we needed to support. Um, so Lacey went to the hospital and we were in touch with her. Um, and I remember we had, we had plans for that day down in Wellington with friends, cancelled those plans, and then we just sat in the lounge, the two of us once again, 
waiting. Mm-hmm. Lacey was in at the hospital in Whangarei. Um, staff were incredible. And we jumped on a video call with her when the doctor came in. And we just sat there waiting, waiting, waiting. Um, I, I remember it, it, it was about 20, 30 seconds, but it felt like forever. And we finally heard the heartbeat again. Um, so, yes, uh, it was it was um, a real roller coaster. I know it's cliche, but it was a real roller coaster. Yeah. Um, but look, our, our our friendship with Lacey um, meant that we could all be strong together. Mm. We could all be really sad together at the same time, um, and that was really important to be on the journey with each other. Um, which has been beautiful. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, we can say now that that um, that third try was our Nico. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was yeah. strong and resilient right from the outset. Mm. <laughs> um, so it sounds like you guys had uh, have got such a great relationship with Lacey. Because you're in two different parts of the country and you're going through this pregnancy and you're kind of wanting to know what's happening, like how do you know how much, how many calls are too many, how many FaceTimes are, are, are too <laughs> yeah. less? Like how do you balance that off? Oh, uh, well, uh, see, my, I'm, I'm, Lacey and I just love talking. <laughs> <laughs> so we were going at it left, right, and centre. Yeah. We were sending each other articles and things to read and happy uh, gifts and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, and so her and I, you know, it was a friendship and it was an exciting time, you know. Apart from those, those was an exciting time. So yeah. So we were we you know, I think we kind of just took it as it came and yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Some people think when they start trying for a baby, bam, they'll fall pregnant. But for others, it can take years. They give everything a shot. Surgery, tests, drugs, specialists. Switching up lifestyle choices can help, and this goes for guys too. The journey sperm undertake on their way to fertilise an egg has been likened to a human trying to swim thousands of kilometres. So it's obvious why it's essential to create a healthy environment for sperm production. Menovit is a male fertility supplement specifically formulated to support sperm health and motility. Made with a unique mix of antioxidants, it provides support during the conception journey along with a healthy lifestyle. Menovit is available at leading pharmacies. For more information, head to elevit.co.nz. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Lacey was due November 2021, which from memory, you know, Auckland was still in lockdown. Northland might have been in maybe level three at that time. So how did Uh, you navigate that? Yeah, I think there was, I think Auckland had gone into some kind of lockdown earlier. So we had the national lockdown and then Auckland was still in it. And then there was risk that Northland was was going to go back into lockdown or something again. So we, it must have been a Thursday and we just like went and booked flights. We're like, we're we're doing this, we're coming up here. It's six weeks before the due date. Um, we, we can't stay here and get risk of getting stuck uh, or isolated. So yeah, we flew up and we had to, we had to have um, signed documentation from our social worker to get through Auckland the because of the border. Um, <laughs> and there wasn't a direct flight between Wellington and Whangarei, so we had to change in Auckland and everyone was masked up to the to the riser. It was just yeah, <laughs> such a stressful time. Oh, I remember that day because um, I think Lacey messaged that morning and said, look, it looks like we're going to go down into lockdown again. Um, and we, we were kind of working from home from Wellington and we're like, oh, yes, great, but we have all these things we need to do before the baby comes to get a house ready and, oh, gosh. <laughs> who's who's going to look after the dogs? Yeah, and everything. All, all this stuff. And then I was like, okay, okay. So I called my mum and go, mum, what should we do? She goes, what, why the hell are you calling me? 
get on a bloody flight. <laughs> Go be there right now. Everything else in Wellington will be sorted. We'll take care of it. You go. You guys need to be together. We'll support you from afar. But one of the most amazing things is that day, Lace, because we had a we had a um, accommodation booked, but not that far out in advance in Whangarei. So, Lacey sorted us accommodation. We went and stayed with Lacey's mother-in-law. Rose, if you're listening, we love you. Thank, <laughs> thank you for allowing us to be your gay flatmates. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, so we so we went and stayed with Rose for about um, four weeks. Um, Lacey's mother was also there, staying with them to help look after their kids. So Lacey's mum was getting out um, soft toys and teaching us how to put the soft toy in water and bathe bath the baby. Like, oh, bless this, her this was a real village. Yeah. Everyone was really excited. And uh, the blessing in disguise lockdown for us or, or that situation was we got to spend a lot more time with Lacey and her mm. family, the wider family, than we would have otherwise. So we have a really strong connection to them and we, we go up there, we will stay with Rose again. You know, like that's that's our home away from home. So tell us about the delivery suite and when Lacey's in labour. Because my fear when you said you were in lockdown is you weren't going to be allowed to be there, but you were. What was yeah, that like? um, uh, Lacey's um, midwife uh, was would, had talked to the hospital and, and organised it. So it was no, normally it's just one other person, usually the husband, mm-hmm. Um <laughs> In the delivery suite, but she was able to get it so that both of us could be there, and that was that was really special and really amazing. So in the delivery suite was Lacey, her midwife, and us two, and that was it. And it was it was so beautiful, and um, that we must have gone into the hospital at about eleven o'clock, and then um, we were just waiting in the in the room and just walking around and playing music and having this kind of just nice relaxing atmosphere. Um, and yeah, it was just really special as well, just knowing that within a few hours, you know, we were going to have a boy or girl and yeah, hope, hoping it was all going to go well as well. We were just yeah, nervous always about what, we'd never, I've never been in a delivery suite before. Well, you, I mean, had to, you had to see a vagina for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still traumatised. Well, it's probably not a vagina in all its glory, I to mean, be fair. I mean, I was definitely wasn't looking. <laughs> You're like, it's all happening down there, all good, all good. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was in the, in the water. I was like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. And then I wasn't really looking down there until there's a head there. I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember yeah. it starting out very, yes, as you say, very jovial. We um, we had a playlist and there was probably lots of Ed Sheeran and cool, you know, yeah. Sam Smith and stuff. <laughs> and then um, it just got a bit quieter and, and Lacey's body was gearing up for baby to come. Um, and it was just magical. She was phenomenal. Um, we videoed it. Late. Wow. We captured that on video in a modest way. Um, but just seeing Lacey's face, um, and I remember really clearly, and that we caught this on video, where Lacey is kind of panting and going through it, and it's probably a couple of minutes before baby comes out. She turns to Jake and I, who are right beside her, and she says, you're going to be dads. Oh, mm. my, because this woman is, like, super so, human. <laughs> so how could you even think about that? Oh, while they're She's about to be screaming your head off, yeah. So, you know, right till the bitter end, that was her goal. Mm. Yeah. She wanted to see our faces mm. when she got to hand Bubba over to us. Oh, I've never mm. met Lacey, but I love her already. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just getting tears in my eyes already Same. thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so Lacey hands you your... Your new baby, like, what? Tell us about that. What that felt like? I was ter- so terrified. Like, I'd never hold, held a brand new baby that that small before, let alone one that was like just come out of the water and the womb. And I was shaken like a like a leaf. And then the, the uh, midwife helped, and she gave. And then I cuddled him, and he was just uh, most beautiful thing in my, in the world. Yeah, happiest day of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> um. I had a job. It's very purple. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's not meant to be this colour. I had a job of um, just ensuring that we told Lacey's mum and Lacey's husband Mm -hmm. um, that Lacey was safe, that that we were all safe, (laughs) Bubble was safe, and um, so I just was going to send a text message, but I thought, oh, well, here, I'll just send a quick photo. So it was a photo of um, Lacey holding Nico, Yes. This would have been a few minutes after the yeah. actual birth. <laughs> She's purple, mucusy, and gross. 
So I'll go and send the photo. Um, by accident, I sent it to our dog groomer. <laughs> <laughs> so the first person to know that Nico's been born was our dog groomer, who doesn't even know that we're having a baby via surrogacy. And, 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 because I think because that morning, uh, the morning we knew we were going to go into the hospital, I was trying to sort stuff out. She was at the top of my text list. So yeah. How long did it take you to realise you hadn't sent it to the <laughs> Straight <right>? away. <laughs> and I screamed out and I texted her and said, ah, oh, by the way, Snow and Minnie have a new um, sibling. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, wrong person. <laughs> Uh, so you send, send those texts off. And then is there like a sort of moment where it's just the, the, the three of you almost and you realise your dad's? Um, yeah, I think it, by the time – so we'd stayed at the delivery suite for another couple of hours and then moved to the um, the resting ward area. And I think Aaron might have – oh, Aaron had taken um, – drove Lacey home and it was just me and Nico there and I was just – I was in tears, just so happy. It was just like – Wow, you know, this is this is going to be life now. <laughs> He's going to change my life for the rest of the year. It was it was incredible. So overwhelming. Yeah, and and knowing because I was going to I was going to do the um, parental leave care for the next seven months, like feeling daunted and overwhelmed by just what's going to happen. You know, I changed. I don't think I've only changed maybe one nappy before he was born. So we did did practice, and I'm like, it's definitely not the same as yeah. that when you practice. <laughs> Um, yeah, overwhelmed, but then yeah, just so much joy and yeah, and I was playing music to him, and yeah, I think it was um, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I think up in, at that moment, I think we'd been so focused on the pregnancy and and that mm. one once bitten twice shy and what what could or could not happen. I don't think I'd actually really considered what it was like to actually have a baby, let alone all the things you need to do to um to keep that baby healthy and safe so for example we had to wait in the car outside the hospital because oh, yeah. of the lockdown we had to wait in the car in the ho- um, car outside the hospital until Lacey went into active labour so oh once she was gosh. in active labour we were allowed to go in oh. um, but I remember um, sitting there and I said Jake we don't know how to make formula <laughs> <laughs> should we like be googling this right now um, so it was even those, the bare basics that we didn't quite know about. And uh, we didn't Google with, with a hospital staff are wonderful. They'll, they'll help us. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, what's he going to call you? So what, I'm Because he's not quite talking yet. So what have you been calling yourselves, I suppose? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Dada. I'm Dad um, and Aaron's Papa. Um, and he's he's almost got the P right when he's, <laughs> but he, he also calls he calls everything Mama, <laughs> so it's kind of, it doesn't matter what kids what the kids are saying. So. Yeah. But we you know what's really really important for us, and this comes back to the the genetic debate, is that um, so we used my sperm mm-hmm. um, to create Nico, and that was because um, our, our egg donor D is um, European Pakeha, and so. Um, we're able to have a mixed race baby, you know, half Pakeha, half Indian, um, which um, is, is lovely. Um, but it's really important. Jake's family's heritage is Dutch, mm-hmm. and it's really important that we instill as many of those kind of things as possible. But there's this whole um, discussion around ownership of Nico genetically. So I was getting a bit upset through the process where people were asking me, and and they were doing it because they were just interested and wanted to be educated, and that's wonderful. But they're asking me, oh, you know, so it's your sperm, so, oh, will you, you know, how does Jake feel about that and things like that? And as I said earlier on, for us it was never about, um, you know, the the genetics. It was just about having a family. It was Mm -hmm. about having a child. And we know there are so many children out there who need happy, healthy homes and loving parents. Yeah. So for us, that was the goal, not about who had ownership of Nico genetically. So it's been really important for me in particular to make sure Nico knows that his heritage, his whakapapa, um, hails back to India and back to the Netherlands. Um, and we're going to continue to make sure of that um, in whatever ways we can. Yeah. It's, um, it's Man, it's such a... Long journey, feels like it's been such a long journey at this point. And then you get to you guys uh, sort of taking Nico home. How do you 
thank somebody, like how do you even find the words or the way to thank somebody for growing, baking a baby um, for you? <laughs> you know, especially since you can't pay for it in this country. Mm. Yeah, we um, we did our very best to <laughs> find the words all the time. Um, you know, it's been really important for us to be on the journey with Lacey. It's it's much about a surrogacy journey is is about a journey of um, two men becoming dads. That's been a hundred percent, you know, part of our co-papa. Mm. Um, and so, look, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of staying connected. It was a lot of um, ensuring. We, I mean, we were, we were quite public. We actually didn't really want to tell our story initially, but we were quite public on social media and then did a, you know, a couple of um, articles and things like that because we thought if we can help to inspire others, then we so, should. So in a way of paying it forward, you know, because we couldn't pay Lacey, so we could do some more community service in a way that we can share our experience and, and help other people in the future. And Lacey's been exactly the same mm. as well. Mm. You know, she's been doing media interviews and things like that because – she knows there are others out there who need to hear from her experience. Yeah, you guys are lighting the way for other people and bless you for doing mm. that. Oh, it's it's our privilege and our honour. We feel honoured to come and talk to you about this if it can help anyone in any any kind of way. So I guess, Dan, to your question, that's been the way that we've been able to do a little something. Um, mm. But it will never be enough. It feels like it will never, ever be enough. Um, but... If we can continue to um, send photos to Lacey <laughs> and remind her of the, the massive role she played, and our um, our friends Alice and mm. Dee as well, remind them mm. and, what they've done for us. And yeah, teaching Nico for, as from as from as early as he he, he can um, understand and learn, he wants to know where he comes from, and uh, he's got an amazing story that we can we can share with him. And what a lucky little bubba he is, because mm. he's got so many people who love him. I mean, that, that is it. And um, we recorded videos of ourselves. Oh, so yeah. we recorded videos um, the morning before Nico was born. Oh. We recorded a little video when we were in the birthing suite together and then also once when he was born. We're going to edit those together with photos and things so Nico can learn about his journey. So we're talking to him like kind of before, during and after birth. Um, a friend of ours suggested that and we were really reluctant and also just didn't find the time. But I'm so glad we did because it, it will go – to show, well, for Nico anyway, that there was a real village. Mm. And how very, very wanted he was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how long after that is it that you actually get to go to the court and sign the papers and he is officially in the eyes of the law? Well, on the day, um, on the day we Lacey contacts the social worker, mm -hmm. effectively straight after birth, to say, this is baby, baby was born at this date, uh, on this date, at this place, and my wish is for baby to go to um, Aaron and Jake. Uh, so she has to give permission for that to happen. That's right, yeah. Um, and that becomes, I believe, an interim order mm -hmm. for us to have baby in our care at the hospital. Um, and so a really important part of the process. Um, so we did that. Yeah, and then so yeah, so Nico was born in November, and then we had to do another interview with um, our social worker, and that's when she talked about the um, the full report that she would write to um, for the courts, um, in in um, in the words that Nico can understand when he goes to read it. Uh, so that must have been in about March, and then um, we had we met with our lawyer a few times and signed some more documents, and then our, our court hearing must have been in about June or July. Um, of 2022, so he would have been about seven, seven, eight months wow. from both. Yeah, yeah. It's such a long journey, and as soon as you mention lawyers, all I see is dollar signs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an idea of what this whole process has cost you? Our, our, our lawyer was an amazing, amazing friend of ours, um, Anisha, and she was actually our, our wedding celebrant, and so having another member of our of our family and friends to help support us through this journey was amazing. Um, she's uh, yeah, she helped us a lot through the process and um, she offered to do it for us for free and we said no we can't you know while while I appreciate the the amazing offer but um, we, you know it's your a lot of your time that you spend on this. I think probably all up um, we did a few sums and we think it might have totaled around 70 or eighty thousand dollars 
Now, wow. look, I think it's a really important thing to state now. That is, you know, we, we, we had the means to do that and we are so, so lucky mm. that we have, have that. Um, and many families won't. Yeah. And and, and it, it, it breaks my heart. I know my mum's particularly devastated. She said to me, but Aaron, that means so many others won't be able to have kids because there'll be a financial barrier. Mm. You know, those you know, socioeconomically struggling will not be able to. And it is heartbreaking um, to hear that. So we come from a place of privilege. We've we've got a a warm, healthy home and loving support around us. Many others won't. And that's really, really sad mm. for us, particularly being part of the rainbow community mm. and knowing that we struggle in different ways to others um, and we're not as accepted by friends, family, society. Uh, so that's an added complexity, and I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that. Yeah. Uh, on your journey, did you guys have any negative responses or face any stigma at all um, throughout the, the pregnancy? I can't remember. I, 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 I know Lacey did. I, oh, I can't yes. remember who mm. it was. I, I feel like it was uh, someone she interacted with along the way. That was someone she didn't know. And she was kind of explaining that she's pregnant and it's not going to, you know, it's not not for her, um, her and her family. And this person said um, something like, you know, that's not wait, what nature has made us. That's not that's not nature's role or something Oof. like that. Um, and that was really hard. I think that might have been the only kind of piece of kind of criticism. Uh, so, we, you know, we kind of talked about that, tried to laugh it off. But it, it was sad to hear that, absolutely. So how Nico's just over one now, isn't he? How how did you survive the first year? How are you enjoying being dads? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so much fun. He is just a he's such a great little character. He just has so much life and energy, and wants to crawl on anything and climb onto everything, and loves climbing up the stairs pulling all the dirt out of the pot plants and eating it. <laughs> what do Minnie and Snow, your dogs, make of him? <laughs> uh, to start with, they were very apprehensive. But um, there was, we got a video on our phone from last week is when we were driving in the car and he's in his car seat and she jumps up on, onto him and he's just giggling away and <laughs> holding her and like just stroking, stroking her nicely, which is something he never does. Normally he just goes to, <laughs> goes to grab and pull the tail. Yeah. But um, he was just in... And fits of laughter. He has tried dog food. He does, <laughs> he does whatever he can, Thank- to, can to get into the dog bowls. Uh, so thankfully, it's the crackers, not the, the not the raw meat. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this is The Human Race, and we've reached the finish line. We end the show by asking all our guests the same four questions to find out what they've learned along the way. Question one, and I love this one because I've got a lot of answers for it. (laughs) People love to try and be helpful when you're struggling to conceive. And maybe if they've managed to conceive themselves, they consider themselves experts. So I'm kind of keen to know, what is the worst thing that someone said to you during the fertility process or the most unhelpful piece of advice? Uh, The one that sticks out for me was a kind of a medical professional who said at the very start of the journey, don't worry guys, this is going to be a success story. And it's not what I wanted to hear. And... Um, I found it quite upsetting because when you when you're in in game mode and and it's really emotional, you know that it's not going to be successful for a long, long time, and success may never come. Mm. And so I found that really hard to take. Uh, I thought it was um, inappropriate, I suppose. Um, Throwing a lot of false yeah. hope out there early in the piece. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It really played with the brain. Uh, so it's, I suppose it's not advice, but it was a statement, mm. and mm, set 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 a bit um, bit off for me, I suppose. What would you say to someone else who was at the start of this journey? Because as you say, you've tried to pay it forward. You're kind of blazing a trail here. What advice would you give to another couple at the beginning of this journey? Yeah, look, I would say. Wrap as much support around mm. you as you can with the right people. Because there will be the wrong people, the people that won't understand your situation. Um, family and friends rely on them. And I think also try to get comfortable with having feelings. Let those feelings 
um, show rear their ugly head when <laughs> when they need to. Sometimes you might just need to cry, and that's okay. I guess it's we kind of spoke about it earlier, but it's such a roller coaster, and lots of it can be sad, and some of it can be awkward. But there are funny parts that come along. Is there any like hilarious moments for you guys that sort of stand out? Um, well, definitely the text message to our um, <laughs> <laughs> to our dog room. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I remember going um, at the fertility clinic um, to go and do my sample, and um, I, I went. I was it was I think it was during a lunch break at work, and I, I went up and um, I was you know had a meeting afterwards, so I went up with my little cup um, prior to, and I said to the embryologist, I was doing the form, said to the embryologist, "Oh, how long is this going to take?" And then she <laughs> said to me, "Aaron." Well, that's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> it will take as long as you allow it to take. Um, I guess just finally, what would you say to someone who is supporting someone like you going through the process? Because I find sometimes people don't know how to best support you. They want to, but they don't know how. Um, just offer your love and uh, and say, I'm, you know, I'm a shoulder to cry on. Uh, you can uh, you can ask me any questions. I, you can ask for advice from me and or what I did in this in this experience or in this um, in this situation. Uh, but yeah, I feel like my life's an open book now because we've shared our story enough. So that if anyone needs to ask any more questions, you know, you're welcome to. And I can. And it was, it was great. The more people we talk to, uh, even in our um, antenatal group, about um, who else went on fertility journeys, and surprisingly, a lot of them, um, a lot of people are having children later than. You know, when my, our parents were, um, were having children, they were in the early twenties, and you know we're in our late forties, late thirties now. I'm turning forty next week, so I, <laughs> that's the number on my in my mind. <laughs> um, yeah, so people, it's there are a lot more people, and but people don't really talk about it enough. And I think you know it's because it's such a difficult subject, and it's great that you guys are able to to lift the lid a bit more on on the story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I my piece of advice would be um, sometimes it, the best thing to say is to say nothing. And what I mean is, you know, silence can be really comforting. Uh, I had a friend of mine who um, was going through a fertility journey and, and had miscarried, and um, I just could pick up that something wasn't right, and I didn't know the full extent of it, and I didn't need to ask questions. So. Um, I picked her up forcefully. I said, hey, I'm coming to get you. Picked her up. I went and got some takeaways, went back to my house, and we just sat there. And we just sat in silence. But I, I could pick up that something was wrong. And I don't think she was ready to talk at that point. But that wasn't important. It wasn't important for me to hear what she had to say. It was important that she knew she had someone to say it to when she was ready and that I was there on the couch. Mm. Um, so it was takeaways and... Um, just in a bit movie of company. Night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That resonates with me because I'm I'm a fixer, so I always try and fix issues for Nadine. Yeah. And she's suddenly like, just listen, just yeah. don't need anything, mm. just just be. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I think you're right. What you said before, Jake. We don't talk about it enough. There's actually a whole heap of people out there going through it, but totally. they're all kind of yeah. going through it on their own. Mm. So. Thanks for making it a little bit more normal to talk about it and for joining us we on wanna, The Human Race. Oh, thank you. We want to say yeah. thank you to you. Um, one thing I've been um, noticing, you know, is that people don't often talk about um, the fertility journey when they're going through it. We were really similar. We didn't want to say too much when we were going through it. But all you often hear is the success stories or the happy stories. And and I guess we, we can lay claim to that with Nico. We want to say thank you to the both of you because we've known you for a long time and that started with a pash. <laughs> um, um, but we want to say thank you to you for um, being vulnerable and sharing your journey as you're going through it. It's remarkable. Not many people would, um, but you're putting yourselves out there and that's going to be so beneficial for so many people. So we're privileged to be your friends. Thank you both. We oh, love you shucks. so much. We love you too. Thank you. <laughs> right, cut for a cry. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to The Human Race, a podcast from Wabi Sabi Media and Stuff. 
follow the show on Apple, Spotify or any other podcast app. And please leave a review. It helps other people discover this important content. You can also listen at stuff.co.nz slash thehumanrace. We'd also love to hear from you. Email thehumanrace at stuff.co.nz and follow us at facebook.com slash thehumanracenz or on Insta at thehumanracenz. The Human Race was produced by me, Dan Higgins. And me, Nadine Higgins. Audio editing and mixing by John Rokeha. The associate producer was Jen Black. And executive producer was Chris Reed. Thanks very much for listening. That was The Human Race, which was proudly brought to you by Alibit. Support babies' healthy development at every stage. Always read the label, follow the directions for use. Vitamin and mineral supplements are not a substitute for a balanced diet. If you have a baby with a neurotube defect or spina bifida, seek specific medical advice. Bay New Zealand Limited, Auckland. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> on oh, a journey, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs>